Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I almost feel bad for JP Morgan that like, how did you guys do this? Quote, widespread and longstanding failures, close quote. That is the term that the SEC used to describe what was happening at JP Morgan. Welcome to Compliance Into the Weeds. In this episode, Matt and I take a very deep dive into the J.P. Morgan settlement with the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Commodities Future Trading Commission to the tune of $200 million for failures in record keeping. We look at not only the underlying facts, but many lessons learned for the compliance professional, benchmarking that you can use, and how you can improve your program going forward based upon the remediation of J.P. Morgan. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. For our on the naughty list, in honor of the week before Christmas, we have a juicy case for you today, and that's the J.P. Morgan enforcement action. Last week, J.P. Morgan uh, was tagged for $200 million for essentially bad electronic record keeping. So, Matt, first of all, welcome and uh, happy holidays. Thank you, Tom. Happy holidays to you, too, and to all of our faithful listeners here. Thank you very much. So, surprisingly, in both the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, order and the Commodities Future Trading Commission, CFTC order, there were not a large paucity of facts, or there was not a, a large amount of facts, but there were some uh, some pretty juicy uh, foo bars in here. So, you want to just take us through how J.P. Morgan got in this position, Matt? That's fair that uh, there's not a... A huge number of facts, but Tom, I suspect if they turned over and included every single fact in their settlement order, it probably would have been four inches thick. Uh, Here's what happened. You may have heard it already, listeners, that uh, as Tom mentioned, J.P. Morgan was fined $200 million, $125 million from the SEC, $75 million from the Commodities Futures Trading Commission for failing to collect and maintain employee communications when employees were basically communicating on their personal devices, on private apps, encrypted networks. Uh, They were using WhatsApp. They were using iMessage, I guess, on their iPhones. They were using various other uh, non-sanctioned devices and applications to communicate about company business. Um, We don't know exactly how many employees did this, but uh, the SEC settlement order, which is really wincing reading, if you want to go into it, man, you really, I almost feel bad for JP Morgan that like, how did you guys do this? Um, Quote, widespread and longstanding failures, close quote. That is the term that the SEC used to describe what was happening at JP Morgan. Uh, This went on at least from January 2018 
through November 2020, these um, unsanctioned communications and failure to collect uh, and maintain their records. Uh, and this was done by apparently low-level employees. It was also done by senior-level employees who were supposed to be in charge of enforcing these records retention policies and these um, other employee communication policies that you don't talk about business on non-business applications or non-business devices. Or if you do, it must all be stored, and then it wasn't. Uh, so, it, Tom, it's a great big mess, and we have all sorts of specific examples I can give, but that's it at a high level. And, Tom, the only other things I will note is um, that $200 million is the largest such fine ever imposed uh, by the SEC and the CFTC together, the largest fine ever for an infraction of this type um, and J.P. Morgan had to admit guilt in its uh, settlement order with the SEC. Uh, so all of the time that we've heard so often from SEC settlement orders that a company neither confirms nor denies or admits or whatever uh, any of the facts in the complaint, standard boilerplate stuff we have seen for years. The SEC has lately been saying they're going to knock that off and have companies admit the facts and their guilt more often. And now right away, we see that here with this JP Morgan settlement. So there were a few examples of some pretty delicious violations of this policy. And I want you to tell us about the supervisor who started the WhatsApp chat and just how ubiquitous this entire series of record keeping violations was. Uh, so, well, we do have one executive director and supervisor of a trading app, yes, and he apparently launched a WhatsApp group uh, in April 2019. He invited 19 other members of the trading desk to join in. That group then swapped at least 1,100 messages on this WhatsApp group through the rest of the year. Um, and those messages included they were discussing investment strategy, client meetings, analysis of market events. Um, none of this was saved and preserved. Uh, it just existed off in their private WhatsApp group. But J.P. Morgan's records retention um, data servers and what, data storage devices and applications and whatnot, they, they had none of this. Uh, there was another one, another executive director. He worked on the capital markets desk at J.P. Morgan and had texted with more than 100 co-workers, as well as apparently dozens of managing directors, heads of several business lines. Uh, he was chatting with J.P. Morgan customers, their clients, third-party advisors, others. Uh, there were at least 2,400 text messages this person was had made from November 2019 through November 2020. Uh, and again, these messages existed apparently on their personal devices, but J.P. Morgan was not capturing them. And Tom, this is where we get to the really wincing part is because J.P. Morgan didn't have these messages in its servers. When J.P. Morgan got a subpoena from the SEC saying, please turn over all records relevant to this matter, whatever the matter is, I don't know. But J.P. Morgan, they got a subpoena saying, please turn over all these messages. Well, J.P. Morgan turned over what it had, but it didn't turn over all this other stuff because it, they didn't have it, because the employees didn't save it on the company servers, on company messaging apps. So they missed all of this communication, told the SEC, well, we don't have it. 
Then the SEC found out through other banks it had subpoenaed, and they turned over these records. Well, here's all of these missing J.P. Morgan communications. So the SEC had to go back to J.P. Morgan and said, well, what is this? Oh, yeah, uh, maybe we have some messages that exist, but we don't know where they are. Let's go look. So the SEC had to go back this second time to J.P. Morgan, basically say, please explain yourself, because we found all these other evidence through other companies under investigation. What's going on? Slow down the SEC investigations as J.P. Morgan went back to its employees, dug up all these messages. They didn't know that it had. Um and I, it was just, it was striking. Where was, there was one great quote from the assistant director of enforcement. Um, As today's order reflects, J.P. Morgan's failures hindered several commission investigations and required staff to take additional steps that should not have been necessary. The settlement reflects the seriousness of these violations. Firms must share the mission of investor protection rather than inhibit it with incomplete record keeping. That is a direct quote from Sanjay Wadha, who is the SEC's Deputy Director of Enforcement. And Tom, you and I know we have read plenty of these statements, like in the genteel world of SEC press statements and enforcement actions, this kind of language, you can almost see the steam coming out of the enforcement director's ears. Like they must have been so irritated that this happened. Uh, And I think that they are clearly trying to send a message to other banks. Knock this off right now. You know, if you have this going on at your bank, clean it up before we too come knocking on your door like we did to JP Morgan. That's my take on the SEC's statement that went along with this. So Matt, uh, for for me, uh, the recitation of facts that just horrible nature that the SEC had to tell J.P. Morgan this was going on, and they had to tell them more than once that this was going on, uh, was obviously salacious and a lot of fun. But I actually saw a lot of lessons for the compliance professional based somewhat upon your recitation of the facts, but also about the remediation that J.P. Morgan uh, agreed to engage with with the compliance consultant. So could you walk us through some of the remedial steps that you saw Morgan was either in the process of taking or was going to do so through the auspices of the compliance consultant? Yeah, that that is interesting, I thought, Tom. So as you said, J.P. Morgan has agreed that they will hire an independent compliance consultant to review their activities here with uh, electronic record keeping and employee surveillance, um, and then come up with a report and then the board at JP Morgan will look at this consultant's report. They will implement recommendations as necessary, but some of what this consultant has to look at, um, a review of JP Morgan's supervisory compliance and policies and procedures uh, related to electronic communications, including those found on personal devices, a review of the training conducted by JP Morgan to ensure that people are complying with these policies and procedures. Uh, a look at the surveillance program that uh, J.P. Morgan has to assure compliance. And for those not in the financial services world, uh, yes, banks have to surveil employee communications quite closely to make sure that they are not 
engaging in insider trading or sharing other non-public material information in other ways. So employee surveillance is a big deal in financial services and in banking. Uh, and it is not at all unusual that they have a elaborate employee uh, communication surveillance program. So that's another thing that the compliance consultant has to look at. Um, and assessment of whatever measures J.P. Morgan uses to prevent unauthorized communications, uh, a look at their communication, their employee surveillance routines, and a look at the framework adopted by J.P. Morgan to address instances of non-compliance by J.P. Morgan employees. Uh, and that will include a survey of how J.P. Morgan determines which employees fail to comply with the policies and the corrective actions carried out. Um, an evaluation of who violated policies and, and why and what disciplinary uh, requirements or actions were taken. So this is a pretty wide-ranging review of what J.P. Morgan has been doing here. And I do think that when you kind of read between the lines, there's an awful lot of talk about who was supposed to be enforcing this why wasn't it enforced by these supervisory employees and managers? Um, and then who decides to uh, impose disciplinary policy or action on these employees, but not others? What's the logic there? Um, so there's, Tom, and I think there's a lot to discuss about the substance of what this compliance consultant is going to be doing. But Tom, I was also intrigued about, you know, what this compliance person, this consultant, like, what they actually are, because this sounds an awful lot like a compliance monitor to me, and we're just calling them a consultant. But Tom, you and I have talked before about recidivist employee, uh, recidivist uh, corporate misconduct, and how are we going to handle this? And you know, maybe more liberal use of monitors, which is something the Justice Department has talked about. This looks and feels to me like a liberal use of a compliance monitor, even though it's not the Justice Department. We're not calling them a monitor, but I mean, aren't they really monitoring? I mean, that that seems it certainly seems like they're a very close cousin to a monitor to me. And that I really wanted to uh, explore that point. But before we get to that, I want to hone in and go kind of inside baseball on some of these obligations um, that really intrigue me because the uh, last point in the uh, order that the monitor is going to report on the comprehensive framework to address. Uh, instances of noncompliance. Uh, first of all, J.P. Morgan is to survey which employees fail to comply. And um, I'm, I was intrigued by the use of the word survey because I don't know if that equals a root cause analysis because later on they say uh, how the um, how did the failure allow to occur was allowed to occur. But then the last uh, point in that same uh, subsection was whether penalties were handed out consistently across business lines and seniority levels. That's not a phrase I recall mm -hmm. seeing before, but I think it really speaks to what uh, the SEC at least wants to see is, is consistency. Consistency from the very top, from, or we would say from the boardroom to the shop floor. Uh, really, any thoughts on why the SEC would specify that. Well, I keep coming back to the point that there were apparently senior people in the first line business units at JP Morgan, 
people who were, you know, like they're not compliance officers per se, I, I don't think, I don't know, but senior executives in the operating business units who nevertheless, it was part of their job to assure that these compliance policies were obeyed. And instead of assuring that the policies were obeyed, they too were violating these policies. And I think that when you see all of the talk from various voices at the SEC or the Justice Department or elsewhere about holding gatekeepers accountable, that's kind of what we mean here. Gatekeepers includes senior executives who are supposed to be setting the example for the junior executives that this is how we do things. And even if compliance is a drag, we do it because that's the way our business operates. And that's not what happened with this scandal at J.P. Morgan. They were chatting away on text and WhatsApp and their cell phones, just like everybody else was. Uh, So I think that uh, the SEC has a big problem with that. And I would even nitpick a bit about the language here where whether penalties were handed out consistently across business lines and seniority levels. I mean, technically, I think it should be handed out inconsistently in that a more senior executive should be getting a more senior, more serious punishment because they're the ones who are supposed to know better. So if everybody is getting kid glove treatment, I don't think that's the consistency the SEC is looking for. I don't think that's what they mean. I think they want to see that senior executives who are supposed to be explaining and guiding the junior people are getting harsher penalties because they are engaging in these practices. At least if you're some 24-year-old manager trainee who's been on the job for two months and you're doing this, I can kind of see that maybe you're clueless. But if you are a supervisor of a trading desk and you are chatting away on a group with a dozen other senior supervisors like come on guys you know full well that is not kosher and you shouldn't be doing it and you should face some harsh penalties compared to the trainee i think that's what the sec wants to look for and find if did that really happen we're gonna have a quick message from our sponsor and we'll be right back with more on the jp morgan 200 million dollar settlement Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So let me follow up on your thoughts around gatekeepers, because the uh, primary or the first gatekeeper here was the compliance department's e-surveillance group, but they were not the frontline gatekeepers. As you pointed out, that was the supervisors, but the order noted, the SEC order noted that the compliance department's e-surveillance group failed to implement a system of follow-up and review to determine that the supervisor's responsibility to supervise was being reasonably executed, excuse me, exercised so that the supervisors could prevent and detect employees' violations of these requirements. So that tells me the supervisors had frontline responsibility to uh, not only prevent, 
but detect, but that the uh, e-surveillance group did not have any uh, follow-up review or probably oversight to determine the supervisors were uh, properly fulfilling these obligations. And once again, I'm not sure I've seen that level of detail where the primary compliance function was to oversee a frontline business uh, responsibility to supervise uh, in an oversight manner. Any thoughts on that? Well, I, I haven't seen it here in an SEC order, but I have seen this this sort of dynamic from other banking regulators. So, uh, Tom, I think it was last year, you and I might have even recorded podcasts about this, but last year, Citibank was fined by the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency and the Federal Reserve for wide-ranging risk management failures. Uh, It was not specific to uh, employee communications on unauthorized devices. It was more generalized complaints about how Citi was handling itself. But the, the regulators there did really pick up on the idea that there were senior executives in the first line of defense at the bank, the operating units. They are in charge of overseeing risks in their units and trying to achieve compliance. At the same time, there are is a more central risk management function in the second line. And part of its job is to make sure that the first line knows what it's doing and is actually doing it. And therefore, does that chief risk management function in the second line also have the ability to do its oversight of the first line? And Citibank got taken the task for all sorts of reasons and all sorts of ways. Um, it's very similar to what we're describing here, that the first line has some responsibility to, you know, like, like we often say, the business owns the risk. That is what this means, that these executives are in charge of making sure we're not using unauthorized devices and we're not dodging records keeping. The the first line is in charge of doing that. The second line is in charge of making sure that's actually getting done in the first line. So the second line was deficient because it lacked the proper technology. It maybe didn't have enough clout. You know, we could get into all sorts of ways that that might go wrong. But it's this double-barreled approach to risk management and regulatory compliance, and so I guess you could have a misfire in each barrel, and that kind of looks like what we have here. There's a, a couple of additional obligations in the SEC order I wanted to explore with you, and these are found in paragraphs 41 and 42. In paragraph 41, at two years from the date of the settlement, the compliance consultant is to report on discipline issued, including written warnings, loss of pay, bonus or incentive compensation, or termination of employment with respect to employees to have violated the policies and procedures. Uh, any thoughts on why the government wants to see what discipline, if any, was imposed? Well, I think that gets to whether you really are embracing a culture of compliance, um, and that is the the catchword now from the Justice Department and from the SEC that uh, there is a new attitude on regulatory enforcement among these agencies that they don't just want to see there is a specific uh, issue that gets handled at one specific time in one specific way. They want to see that there's a real spirit of this is how we are trying to conduct ourselves. And the best way to demonstrate that is to hold people accountable. You, the company, hold them accountable. You do it by disciplinary action. 
Tom, I have to say, I'm I'm actually more interested in the the two year window there because yet again we're getting close to these three year terms of a compliance monitorship, and it sounds like this consultant here is really just a compliance monitor by another name. Um, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I keep coming back to the idea that we're going to see monitor like people either actual monitors or whatever this is here we're going to see more and more of that in these regulatory settlements and uh i don't know it just it feels like a monitor to me i'm going to get to that but before we get to that i want to turn All to right. paragraph 42 sure. which is internal audit and internal audit is to perform a full internal audit of the obligations uh, for remediation that J.P. Morgan has agreed to, separate and apart from the compliance consultant, and there to report to the audit committee of the board. And I have to assume that report will also be made available to the Securities and Exchange Commission. Any thoughts on why uh, internal audit has been specifically mandated in this order to perform a job, and then how would they do it? Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't have any particular insight more than the language of the order there in paragraph 42, other than very clearly the SEC wants as much independent assurance as possible that J.P. Morgan is doing this, and J.P. Morgan has embraced a spirit of compliance and accountability and all the other buzzwords we might use. Um, so one way to do that is the compliance consultant, but the other way is having an internal audit. I am sure JP Morgan does have a strong and complex internal audit function, and they are in theory going to be one step removed from the operating units. And they're going to be one step closer to the board and the audit committee where they can just say, here are our results. Um, so it's just more independent verification that what the SEC has been asking for here is actually going to get done. How are they going to do it? I, I don't know. I, I assume that they will go through whatever sort of standard audit you could use to assess compliance with electronic communications. I mean, there's various ways you could do that. I don't know all of the details about how JP Morgan runs this, but I have no doubt that a sophisticated internal audit function can do this. It's just the SEC is apparently giving everybody a kick in the rear that, guys, we want this done, so this is what you will do it, and that's that. Okay, the monitor, because I saw some very yes. interesting language in this order that I really wanted uh, to explore with you, and once again, the order names a position entitled Compliance Consultant. First of all, the audit committee of the board of directors has already retained a compliance consultant uh, to address many of the issues described in the order. And that's actually specifically stated in the order. But the mm -hmm. compliance consultant slash monitor, and, and maybe we should just move to, to use the word monitor, it says, quote, maybe the same consultant previously engaged by the audit committee. So we have at least one compliance consultant currently engaged by the audit committee that person may or may not become the monitor, then there's several of the obligations we've discussed. But then in the SEC order, there's a series of uh, parameters for the relationship between the monitor and uh, J.P. Morgan, including that if there's a dispute uh, between 
uh, J.P. Morgan and what the monitor suggests because of uh, the onerous nature or some other reason that J.P. Morgan's uh, appeal is to the monitor and the monitor's decision uh, will be final. And so uh, I absolutely agree with you that this doesn't sound suspiciously like a monitor. It sounds like it is a monitor to me. But the uh, order itself really details the relationship and uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission is basically saying, uh, we're not going to select the monitor. We do have a right of first refusal or at least uh, a right to refuse a monitor. But once that monitor's in place, that monitor is going to uh, – hold sway over what you do, J.P. Morgan. Really, what are your thoughts on the relationship between, uh, once again, I'm going to use the monitor, although that's not used in the order, uh, d- separate and apart from the currently in-positioned compliance consultant hired by the board? I, th- I think this person is a monitor. I mean, come on. Like that, that's what this is. Uh, th- so, you know, a couple of more details here is that this person cannot be fired without uh, explicit express uh, permission from the SEC. Uh, clearly, they work for the audit committee. Um, J.P. Morgan shall cooperate fully with the compliance consultant and shall provide the consultant with access to all such J.P. Morgan files, books, records, personnel, as are reasonably requested. That's another bit of a, a clause there. Like, very clearly, number one, they don't trust J.P. Morgan is actually going to do this um, uh, unless they have somebody peering over their shoulder. And number two, they are moving to insulate this person with as much independence and autonomy as possible. Um, there's even a, a period a, a period for two years after the agreement terminates that the consultant can't actually work for J.P. Morgan in any other capacity. So there's another independence clause here. I mean, Tom, I think we could probably stack up the independence requirements of this person and line it up to the criteria for a compliance monitor from the Justice Department. I suspect there's going to be almost point-for-point overlap there. Um, The only technical thing, I'm going to confess I don't know this, and I probably should, does the SEC have permission to uh, or legal authority to appoint a compliance monitor unto itself or is that solely a justice department thing because maybe this is the way that we're going to get around that if that's the case but i mean come on let's not kid ourselves this person is there to monitor jp morgan and assure that jp morgan is living up to the terms of what the sec wants they are for all intents and purposes an agent of the commission hanging around J.P. Morgan's offices, reporting into the audit committee. But I, I can't fathom a circumstance where the consultant is going to say, I want this, and the J.P. Morgan's going to say, no, take a hike. That's going to be a big deal. That's like, this, this is a monitorship by, by some other name. Well, Matt, uh, having now thoroughly gone inside baseball for this order, I really uh, believe even more so that there is, in spite of the pretty egregious facts and the lack of self-awareness and self-disclosure by J.P. Morgan, a lot for the non-financial institution compliance professional to learn from this, not only in terms of a gap analysis about how to think through uh, the record keeping for electronic data in your uh, program, but also uh, as other topics as varied as determining either through survey or root cause analysis how failures occurred. 
uh, discipline for failures that occur, if appropriate, and then consistency of discipline. And I think we may start to uh, begin to see more uh, DOJ or other agencies or departments' orders uh, have this level of specificity. Uh, I suspect that's true. And I would say, yes, if you're a financial services firm, like this is a warning shot. Take it seriously, because the SEC is not at all happy with how J.P. Morgan conducted itself here. But to your point, even for non-financial firms, if you're a compliance officer or a risk officer, you could be thinking about, well, what are my employees chatting about on their own personal devices? How do we know they're not doing insider trading? How do I know that they are not committing some sort of espionage or something like that? Um, there are various points here that are worth considering about how you extend the cloak of compliance over this extended enterprise of personal devices, unauthorized apps, you know, the technical measures to prevent it would probably be extensive and daunting. You're going to require a lot of human coaching and measures, a lot of training, a lot of talking about why it's important not to do this. Um, but like, it's just, it's a cautionary tale. You don't want to be JP Morgan here. Uh, I understand that they have a lot of money still $200 million for a fine like this is nothing to sneeze at that they had to admit to the allegations that's a thing. That's notable. And I do think it's another sign that the SEC's appetite for enforcement is is ambitious. It's expanded from what we'd seen in the Trump administration. That is for sure. Well, Matt, I'm not sure we could call this an early Christmas present for J.P. Morgan, but uh, I'm certainly uh, intrigued that they may have moved to the naughty list with this. So I don't know what Santa may be bringing them. Uh, I can't wait to see what post-Christmas brings us, Matt. All right, Tom. Thank you very much. This is Tom Fox. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Compliance into the Weeds. Both Matt and I have written about the J.P. Morgan settlement, so we're going to link to both of our blog posts in the show notes. They reference the CFTC order and the SEC order, which I would encourage you to read for more information. So we wind down in 2021 and move towards 2022. If you've ever thought about starting a podcast, I hope you will consider that for the new year and that you would come on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to do so, please give me a shout at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.